0: fan named randy shuler sent a plot idea to marvel comics during some contest or something like that and his idea was spider-man gets a new black suit okay the original concept being that It was from Reed Richards as a gift or something like that, but it was going to be this new stealth suit and it was going to amplify his sticking ability and all this kind of stuff. And he had this little plot thing that he sent in. And Jim Shooter, whether he was still already thinking about Secret Wars or what, he liked the idea of Spider-Man in a black outfit you know, because it you know, because uh, when you think about it, it was never supposed to be uh, his. Even the Ditko suit—I mean, Ditko had it moving through the shadows, and you would lose the black parts in the shadow. It always looked really cool, anyway, right? But anyway, for some reason, shooter loved that idea. He assigned uh, Tom DeFalco to work with 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 Mister Schuler to try to hammer this into a story. Okay, because there's a difference between a bit and a story there, you know, an idea and a story. So like, why do things happen? Uh, how does Pete feel about it? Uh, you know, beginning, a middle and an end, you know, things like that. Now, unfortunately it went through some revisions, but it never came to a printable story. Shooter Snow paid him like 200 bucks and 210 bucks, whatever he would have gotten, probably more than he would have gotten for a plot at the time for the idea of Spider-Man Gets a Black Suit. Now, whether Shooter had an idea that he might use this for his Secret Wars thing, for something major for everybody, I don't know. It may have been two prior to that, I'm not quite sure. Only Jim Shooter can answer that question. But he paid He paid Schuler for the idea of a black suit. There was nothing designed, there was nothing on paper. There was a description in the plot that is not what my exact design, okay? When the time came, to do Secret Wars, and the shooter was going to pull the trigger on this, Mike Zach never even heard the name Randy Schuller. He was just told, we're going to give Spider-Man a new black costume. You're designing it. You're doing Secret Wars. So he did. He designed it with the white spider. He designed it with the white spider, the head, and then it just came up and down and around the body, Okay. Rick Leonardi was hired to do issues 253 and 254 of Amazing Spider-Man with the new suit. At the same time, I was hired to do 251 and 252 so they could get a jump after John Romito being the regular artist. Thing. Because John was only leaving for six issues to go get X-Men on schedule, that he was going to do both X-Men and The Amazing Spider-Man, believe it or not. Oh. So they were trying to get everything you know up to speed and all this kind of stuff. When when Rick Leonardi saw the suit, he thought it was terrific, but he thought it would look more organic, more like a spider leg, if he put a second break in it, and it looked more like legs coming out from it. And I think he was right about that. He did a terrific job with it. And if you notice, we're all getting comfortable with it. Initially, there was very little highlight on the suit at all. You only saw, like, little slivers of black on calves occasionally or you know uh, along the shoulder line or something like that with leonardi he barely did any highlight at all but as time went on we started to cheat it more and you wanted to see more of the physique so we started showing more of the blue highlight and all that kind of stuff right but uh yeah but, but it was it was zek with a little tweak from leonardi um and it is true that originally the spider was going to be red which was part of the description in Schuler's story, but, you know, Schuller never designed the spider or anything. The reason it didn't go red initially is because it was printed red in an issue of uh, uh, Marvel Age as a preview, and it showed the – pro because at the time we were using a lot of that flexo printing, mm. and the red color was – you could see the blotch of it in the black. The blacks weren't as dark as some of the colors were back in flexo printing. And so if you had a mostly black figure and you had the spider and then you printed the red over the spider, it didn't, it didn't line up with the outline of the spider. So you would see this blotch of the red into the black Mm -hmm. that just looked awful. And in the smaller figures, it didn't read at all. So it was an eleventh hour decision to just go white with the spider to just make sure that the spider popped. And uh, so that's why it ended up being white. Uh, So, you know, Randy Shuler, you know, people, every once in a while on Facebook, it starts this new cycle. They just did a couple of a year ago, year and a half ago, a couple of years ago, they did a one-shot called um, The Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, boy, it had a little extra title to it. And I forget what it was now. But Peter David and Rick Leonardi took Randy, one of Randy Shuler's versions of the plot and they turned it into an actual comic book by, by rewriting massive parts of it. But they have Spider-Man get the new costume. What they do, though, that was a disservice to the legend is that they use the Mike Zek, Rick Leonardi design. They just color it differently, right? Which has reinforced in people's minds, even people who saw that one shot, and a lot of people didn't, but the people that saw that one shot, it reinforces in their minds that Randy Schuler created that black costume. He did not create that black costume. The idea that he got paid 200 and some bucks and everybody's going, that became Venom. They've made billions. How dare they rip this poor child off, you know, and all this kind of stuff. None of that is true. I mean, I don't know. You tell me. How much credit should Randy Schuler get for Mike Zek's black costume design? You know, I I don't know. I again that's above my pay grade. But I because I'm involved with the black costume, and because I actually Tom and I did a backup for that um, self-improvement, it was called the Amazing Spider-Man self-improvement. Okay. It was a one-shot and had a Mark Bagley cover, Rick Leonardi and Peter David did the lead redoing Randy Schuler's story almost completely. And then we did a little 10 page Spider-Man backup. Um, but in the course of that issue, if you can find it, they printed both versions of Randy Schuler's plots, both before and after Tom DeFalco worked with him. So you can see the description of the suit, you know, as it was such as it was, and it could have gone any direction. In fact, on my Facebook page, I went ahead and did a, a design based on Randy Schuler's description. That, is not the Mike Zack black suit, you know, that kind of thing, uh, to show all the different ways it could have gone from that description. Um, but every once in a while, it comes back around and somebody decides, Marvel ripped off a kid for, you know, they paid him 200 bucks for Venom? That's bullshit! You know, that can, and yes, it would be bullshit if that indeed had happened.
1: Let me ask you a question, though. If Marvel came to you and said, um, you know, without all this happening, they told you, Ron, we want you to either enhance or reinvent Spider-Man's look. Would you say I'm not touching this,
0: or would, did you do you have ideas that you would have pitched? Well, <laughs> I, I, if they approached me now, I'd say, do you have the right phone number? Because that's the, 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 you know, the guys don't call me anymore. Um, <laughs> but I'll tell you what was funny about it is after we did the black costume in, in 80, what was it? 80, 85, 84. 85, after we did it. And after it was a hit, and it went away and became venom and all this kind of stuff. Uh, our new editor on Spider-Man towards the end of my run with the Falco, uh, uh Jim Ousley at the time, he's now under a different name. Uh, the artist formerly known as Jim Ousley, um, <laughs> But he got it in his head that like every year, Spider-Man had to get a new suit. Yeah. So one of the things that I, one of the things that I was tasked to do when I was on the book, and so I've seen them floating around in the art market, were new, new costume ideas for Spider-Man. Half of them I didn't even take seriously. Half of them I did. Uh, one of them looked a little like something Alex Ross did supposedly for the first movie. Uh, but, you know, one of them was just a version of the black costume, but with red highlight instead of blue, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and I played with a couple of variations on that. But the whole idea that Ausley thought that now we give Spider-Man a new costume every once in a while, unfortunately seems to have caught on. I mean, he's got a new one coming up. He, yeah,
2: just... White, you
0: blue, got, and weird. And yeah, problems. I want to
2: say it came out, or it's coming out tomorrow. You know, yeah. something like yeah, that.
0: we're on, the, we're on the cusp. Hmm. But uh, I, you know, I and I don't. I mean, if it's for a storyline, if it's you know something that it's an enhancement that he needs for for a particular storyline, that's one thing. But I mean, that's fine. If it generates interest, it generates interest. I mean, there's there's nothing I can do about the fact that. You know, if your numbers pop a little bit because people still fall for this stuff, then fine. At least it's not like killing the character and bringing him back all the time. You know, I mean, at least you're not you're not trying to monetize death.
2: Oh, that's happened <laughs> but, a couple of times. I mean,
0: <laughs> oh, more than a couple, and it's ridiculous. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world. I can't believe that it affects the sales at all anymore, other than to have people stop buying the book.
2: It hits the news: Spider-Man's dying. Yeah. actually somebody has a commission
0: somebody has asked me to do an extra page of the kid who collects spider-man and the page he wanted he just made the general suggestion that it's tim harrison pulls out a long box of comics and they spend a couple of panels spidey spends a couple of panels reacting to comic book versions of himself yeah now because i'm a fan geek first you remember several years back Marvel did a run of books one month that were the versions of the heroes that are published by Marvel comics in the six one six universe. Do you remember those at all?
2: I think so.
0: there was like like a Thor one where it was like a a scientist and his sons who it's all high tech and they're not really from Asgard and all that kind of stuff. There was a Spider-Man that was done by uh, Kyle Hotz. That was more of a, of a monster type of a thing. I think it was even like a thinly veiled version of Ron Jameson, you know, uh, was infected by an alien or something like that. And the fantastic, it was, you know, it was, but it was all the, you know, the versions that the Marvel comics of the 616 produce. And I, so I, I at least want to recognize that uh, uh, in the course of of, of the piece. But then I also I've, I've also just tapped into the, the, uh, the Spider-Verse and there's like a, a cop Spidey and a cowboy Spidey and, you know, purple <laughs> Spideys. And, and so I want to have Spider-Man kind of just reacting to, you know, wow, you'd think a guy that can shoot webs and fights a bunch of freaky bad guys would be enough for any comic publisher. But I guess not. They really feel like they need to reinvent the wheel every uh, every few months, don't they? You know that kind of thing. So yeah, I I'm a big fan of the fact that if you just tell really good, engaging stories about Peter Parker, you can go on forever. Um, yeah. But yeah, again, you know that's those decisions are made way above my pay grade. So you
1: know. that's what yeah. I want to ask real quick because you mentioned Puma, one of your creations. Talk about creating a character, the steps you take creating a character, pitching it, and then, you know, fleshing it out. Well, I,
0: most of the characters that I've created for uh, for publication have been co-creations. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to think if there is a better example than Puma or something. Well, like the Earth Force was a, were characters that I created when I was in, um, and, and I can tell by look on your face, you don't know who I'm talking about. They appeared in Thor. They were based on the Egyptian gods. They appeared during the Seth Run, the God War, and uh, there was uh, 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 Skyhawk, uh, Earthlord, and uh, uh, Wind Warrior. And those were these these were three characters I created in art school based on two friends of mine from art school, and I was I was one of them. Um, and originally, they were called the Aton Trio. Aton, which is the Egyptian sun disk, yeah, and and they had that disk in their hand that activated their powers. So when we were doing Seth and we were doing the Egyptian gods, I suggested the Aton trio to Tom, and he went, "I like the idea, Ron, but what's an Aton?" And I told him, and he goes, "Nobody knows what an Aton is." So we came up with Earth Force instead because they're you Earth, Air, and, and you know, and all this kind of stuff, and they're protecting Earth from uh, from attack. So we, their, their, their appearance didn't change at all. We gave them civilian names based on my friends and, uh, you know, and, and called them earth force and Ralph Macchio had no problem with it. So that's one example of something from my sketchbook from art school that ended up in publication. Um, Puma was, yeah, Tom DeFalco. Early on, when we were first hired on Spider-Man, he made a decision that he was going to do new characters and not rehash the classic ones. One because Stern had already done some wonderful work, kind of giving the Vulture more weight, and you know, the re- revamping Green Goblin with Hobgoblin, and and he, you know, did a great job with some of the classic characters. But Tom decided, I don't want to do the classics initially. I want to create new characters. He he bought a um, uh, a late night TV offer thing of animal cards that you know laminated and everything, (laughs) and from those animal cards came the black fox, puma, and silver sable. Okay. Oh wow. And the whole idea with puma was he wanted him to be a you know an assassin for hire, uh, and uh, a Native American and. And, and we went through a lot of different stuff. I mean, the first first design I did was a guy in a costume. And he goes, no, I really do want to go with kind of like a wear a puma type of thing. And I went, okay. And, and how far you want to take it? And, you know, and all. so Tom had a lot of uh, input into that character design. And usually when I design new characters, I got a friend of mine from art school, Rich Anaszewski, who is really, really good at designing costumes. He just always comes up with things that I wouldn't have thought of. So he contributed a lot to uh, Puma's uh, first costume, first suit with that kind of Indian type motif that was on it and everything. He contributed quite a bit to that. And I don't even know who picked the colors initially for, for the outfit, but I changed his costume uh, two or three appearances later because I want, I, I, I was, I felt that the coloring confused what was costume and what was really in as far as his fur and everything. So I wanted to, Narrow it down and just make the costume far more basic so his own body fur covered, you know, uh, was showing more. But anyway, uh, but so yeah, I mean, it's as far as, you know, you'd be surprised how little editorial gets involved, especially with villains and things like that. You know, I mean, usually, you know, if the editor is involved at all, it's just for final approval. If they have two cents they want to put in, they put it in, you know, that kind of thing. But it, it's, I mean, it's mostly if you're creating a, a new hero for publication that you're going to get you know, a lot of involvement. Well, we Even when we created Thunderstrike, I mean, I actually went into New York. We sat in an office. Uh, I was sharing studio space at the time with Pat Olive, uh, another Marvel illustrator, and, and he made some suggestions. I took a big sketchbook of stuff to New York with me and... Everybody, the colorist, uh, the anchor, the writer, the editor, everybody had input uh, into, you know, some aspect of what they thought should go into Thunderstrike and everything. So it's, it can be collaborative, certainly. Um, For sitcomics, uh, Darren Henry sends me all this disparate reference. He goes, I have a new idea for a villain. Here's what I'm looking for. Uh, headpiece kind of like this and he sends me the reference from somewhere on the internet (coughs) you know and a, a body suit maybe like this with maybe gauntlets like this or shoes based on this and it's this wonderful creative challenge to take all this disparate reference and try to put it together on a character so it doesn't look piecemeal. So it doesn't look like it's all thrown together, you know, and try to come up with a basic theme or something based on who the character is. And uh, it's, it's fun. It's always fun to create new stuff. I It can be frustrating because then as soon as you hand your little baby off to other people, you know, it's like, well, that's not what the reference looked like. What? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Uh, and that's what it sounds like too. Just wow, wow, wow. You know, that kind of thing. I have a, a, a close, close friend, and she shut me down one time because you know she bitches about her job all the time, and I bitch about my job all the time, and I forget what book I was working on at the time. It might have been Thunderstrike, and I was like, "No, I understand what you mean. It's very frustrating." When she goes, "When what, Ron? When somebody colors your pants wrong?" Is that would, and I'm like that. That's not what I. That's not what I was going to say. <laughs> it's hurtful, but it's not what I was. Going to say. So it's it's you know it's it's playtime. It's right. you know it's fun as hell.
2: It looks like uh, the new Thor movie is taking some pages at a Thunderstrike, too. I, think, his,
0: I I don't know.
2: I don't that's, know. Well, I, that's
0: we had everybody sending me those pictures. Oh, are they okay? Yeah, look, they're gonna do something. Not like show. I'm
2: the first guy, I guess.
0: Here's my guess, Joe. Here's here's my guess. This is I I know nothing about this. I you on the one picture you can't see that he's got like yellow leg wraps and and all yeah. this stuff, but he's got the jacket with the sleeves torn off. Right. Here's my guess. It's it's one of Star Lord's jackets, and Star Lord's gonna come in and he's gonna go, "Is that one of my jackets?" And he went, yeah. He said, but the, the sleeves were too small. So I had to tear the sleeves off to make room for my massive arms. Uh, and and and, and, <laughs> and Star was going to go, my, my arms aren't puny. I, I <laughs> well,
3: he was fat in the last one. So. Trying to say,
0: yeah, exactly. It's going to be yeah. back and forth. And then you're not going to talk about it again. Right. And it's not going to have anything to do with Thunderstrike. I mean, because people are people are saying, "Oh my God!" Instead of bringing back Mjolnir, they're going to make Thunderstrike, and because they've already done Stormbreaker, right? Blah 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 blah, and I'm like, oh, born. Okay, well,
2: they have to bring back Mjolnir for that one. I mean, that's the only way that Jane can become Thor, really.
0: I unless they don't care and they bring back. I don't know. I yeah. I have no idea what they're doing in the movies. They, don't, they don't call me.
2: You mean they, you don't? Get 100%. checked with? You're not I, there?
0: I have gotten uh,
2: two checks
0: for the silliest of reasons because they use the name Hope for Henry Pym's daughter. And really? We named her Hope in MC2 in uh, A Next. Wow. We did a daughter of Henry Pym uh, whose name was Hope. And because they used that, they sent us a very generous check. And that's why DeFalco and I get credits. We got we got a uh, screen credit at the end of Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp. Wow. And Endgame. And everybody thinks Endgame is because of Cap lifting the hammer. And I'm sure it's not. I'm sure it's because Hope Pym comes back in Endgame along with everybody else. So, you know, there we go. We just talked about the movies. <laughs> everybody will watch this. Uh, you know. I wish I could come up with something controversial to say. What, what's controversial these days? What can I say that would be controversial? Miss Piggy. <laughs> you know, Miss Piggy. About, how, <laughs> about, how, about, how about this? Zack Snyder. Yeah.
2: So that guy. <laughs> Jesus.
0: I, I watched a, a director's cut. I liked Watchmen. I watched a director's cut of Batman v Superman and I was everybody prepared me to hate it. I'm not a big Man of Steel fan. But I enjoyed Batman v Superman more than more than most people. But I saw the director's cut where Clark is actually investigating the Bat and all this. Mm-hmm. And I thought it held together pretty well. Um, I really enjoyed Joss Whedon's Justice League, though. So
2: Did you really? Like, you were oh, the
0: guy? Yes,
1: Alright,
2: well, here's the controversial <laughs> part, I guess. Oh, well,
0: that's the controversy? Okay. That's <laughs> I loved it. I, like, well, day I, went, I went and saw it with a friend of mine and and the lights come up and I look at him and I went, I I didn't think I was going to like this. And he goes, I know. <laughs> I went, I really enjoyed that. And he goes, so did I. <laughs> so I yeah, I have to say, I the 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 Justice League as they're calling it. I I enjoyed <laughs> it. I have it on DVD. I watched it more than a few times. So.
2: Yeah, I'm uh, yeah. We I, I remember going to see that one with my wife and when it was over, I was like, yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> and then it wasn't until like, you know, of course, every movie I watch, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And it's not until I start thinking about it and thinking about it. I'm like, hey, wait a second. It just, you know.
0: What fans do, and here I might piss somebody off of this, but what I really feel, I love fans. I am a fan. But what fans do that makes it very difficult for me to identify is – Fans seem to react that if a film or an adaptation of any kind is not exactly what they hope it's going to be, then it sucks and it's a failure. And that's just not true. Maybe it's because I get to work with the characters. Maybe it's because they're not as personal to me just because I know, you know, I worked on Thor for seven years, but you have to let go. You know, you. Right. everybody asks you what you think about You know, would you have? I mean, when they did the Jane Foster thing, I had people on Facebook going, "Would you have done that? Would you have given the hammer to Jane Foster?" And I said, "If Tom and I would have thought about it, hell yeah, we we probably wouldn't have called her Thor, you know. uh, But we did Eric Masterson take it over for Thor, and you know, people loved or hated that. So, who are we to say that?" Jane Foster can't have the hammer for a while. You know, it's like, calm down and judge the story on its own merits. Don't judge the story on the on the lead line. Jane Foster gets the hammer, you know.
2: That's a, that's a pretty good doing? story. I mean, yeah. I, re- I really liked it, too. I
0: never read it, but I, I'm sure it's terrific, I Yeah. I I, just, I know what goes into the creative process. I know right. how uh, you know what blood, sweat, and tears can go into it. I mean, if 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 a creative person isn't engaged and they're just they're just whiffing it, you can tell. I mean, there are some guys out there that are that are doing that. God love them and getting paid for it. So.
2: I, I I hear you. But
0: <laughs> in most cases, you know, I I can only presume that people are as engaged as the Falco and I are. I mean, we take it very personally. So, you know, for me, luckily, if somebody calls me a hack. I take it as a compliment because I used to always call Sal a hack and I'll be Sal any day of the week. I mean, you want to put me in a group of Sal even if it says hacks, I'll be happily sitting next to Sal while you boobs are out there. (laughs) But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, but, but we do put a lot of effort and care and time and thought you know, I mean, I, there are a few times we've I, we've done a few things, and I'm like, "Oh shit, we didn't think about that," and and I feel bad. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like that got past us. I, you know, some factoid about a character that we missed or something like that. You know, yeah. but, and, and and yet what we did ends up being canon, and it's like, oh shit, <laughs> you got go back and do that one again. You know, that kind of. Thing. I mean, somebody just told me when, when we did in Spider Girl, when we did Mary Jane becoming the school counselor, my whole thing was, well, Tom, can we make it clear that it's a uh, that it's like a peer position? You know, it's like peer counseling, because does Mary Jane have a psychology degree? I mean, can she actually do this? Right. You know, and. He never seemed to be all that concerned about it. and He just had her take the job and all this kind of stuff. We never had a conversation about it beyond that. But it was just pointed out to me to a fan that when Mary Jane went back to college, in stories that I'm pretty sure were written by Tom DeFalco, she went back and she was taking psychology courses. So, okay. So, I mean, why didn't DeFalco at the time just – in fact, Tom, if you're watching, why didn't you just tell me at the time that she has a psychology degree?
2: Damn it, Tom. Because he, he, he probably
0: didn't remember.
2: But anyway. Well, you know, everything has to happen on the pages. It can't happen off-panel somewhere. It's better,
0: so. if, you don't. It's better <laughs> if you play fair. You know, I mean, we do have we do have 16 years between current 616 and, and, uh, and Spider Girl, so, you know, it's possible she could have gotten a psychology degree off-camera, but... <laughs> I, you know, when you're talking about high school counseling, there are all levels of high school counseling and, uh, you know, peer counseling is, is a real thing. Having an adult there to, uh, to be, uh, as, uh, as representatives for the kids, you know, as, as, uh, arbiters for the kids is a real thing. So, I mean, I was fine with just that too, but you know, if that really was back there, I didn't know it. You know, i I should have I should have done my due diligence, I guess. too. you know, There's one um, thing
1: I want to ask you about because I'm I, I am a fan of your art, um, your covers. I think I know the answer to this, but your feelings and thoughts late '80s, early '90s, the gimmick covers, the foils, the holograms, the this, that, and the other thing that they were putting out. Anything that Anything that leaned
0: more towards value as collectibles as opposed to uh, value as readable material. Right. Is is it's a
2: nice deep. shiny one, right? Yeah,
0: is real that's I have a double I don't have a double splash pinup in there. A, a double page pinup of the Avengers in there one? I think so. Yeah, oh, Thanks by Tom Palmer. In that in that uh gold foil vision cover. Open it up to the
2: center. Trying to get there. Oh there's a big uh there's a cap, okay.
0: Is there? Isn't there a, an Avengers pinup? In oh there? yeah, you're ah. I drew that, and it's inked by Tom Palmer and and all that. But yeah, that that, that actually came out looking pretty nice. I like that. That's anyway, great. yeah, thank you for that. it's uh, small advertisement, Joe. I appreciate. It. Anyway, uh, no, I there were people in the industry, smart people in the industry, that were saying, guys, we just saw the collect the collector cards industry bubble burst do we really just want to take fast money and take the risk that it could happen to comics too and most of those reasonable voices were drowned out by the ka of people believing that these things were going to be worth something someday and uh, so you know i was one of the people saying can we stop a little bit you know i mean i on the thunderstrike number one cover they said they wanted to do foil stamping so I designed the cover with a big figure, and I put like one or two lightning bolts behind it. And when the cover finally came out, production had gone in and put like a dozen lightning bolts behind them so they could actually make use of the foil printing. Overall, I thought it was a neat-looking cover. I didn't think it was a crime, but there were a lot that just didn't work. And, and I just feel sorry for anybody who buys into that stuff. You know, I mean, it, it just isn't what they say it's going to be you know I just, it just isn't I, I'm a big detractor of constantly renumbering I mean it, I have a, a weird sense of pride in the fact that I got into the industry one when we still had spinner rack presence because I actually know that my work survived on the spinner rack and mass market mm-hmm. so that's one thing But the other thing, too, is on my Facebook page, you'll notice that when I talk about an issue of Spider-Man or an issue of Thor, I take a perverse pride in saying, volume one, number so-and-so, you know, that kind of thing. Because I have, what volume is Spider-Man on now, for God's sakes?
2: Uh, I don't even know anymore. I mean.
0: It's nuts with all the different number ones and then returning to the numbering and then going off the numbering again and then launching again. I have no idea what, what number they're on or if they have some new system they use besides volumes. I have no idea. But, yeah, I remember
2: when they did that with the Action Comics 1000. It was, right. Right. you know, because they had gone away from that for a good number of years. Yeah. yeah. They're like, yeah. all right, everything's number one. We're starting over, new 52, blah, right. blah, blah. And then they're like, well, no this is technically number 1000. I'm like,
0: yeah, well, they start, they started from a new number one with burn over, didn't they? Yeah. Or maybe not. Did they start over action again with number one? I know they started over with Superman, but
2: yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember. I, was, gonna, I have it. I have see. a couple over there and I'm just, I don't know. I can't remember, but yeah, they're always doing that. And it, I think it, I, I agree with you. I think it takes away from just the comic book uh, history.
0: Yeah, you know, and the—I mean, like I said, the continuity is one thing; consistency is something else. And I think consistency is what makes a, a product. Yeah, uh, maintains a product's uh, of, uh, liability is consistency. Is that you have some way, some sense of what the product's going to be when you get there? You know,
2: yeah.
0: I mean, people, you know, this whole legend thing about if you've been in the industry long enough, and they call you a legend. You get to be a legend by showing up for work.
2: <laughs> I, I called you a legend when we started.
0: See, and you earned it. That, that's how you get there. DeFalco's a legend because he started calling himself the legendary Tom DeFalco. He read somewhere that it was Michael Jackson himself who started calling himself the King of Pop, and it caught on. So Tom said, I'm going to do that. So he started calling himself the legendary Tom DeFalco. <laughs> And he's managed to get a lot of people to use it. So, please, feel free from now on when you refer to Tom DeFalco. He's a legendary. legendary. But when people call me a legend, it's like, you know, somebody on one podcast even asked me, how do you become a legend? And they, apparently you just show up. Apparently, <laughs> if you show up enough, like seven years on Thor and two and a half years on Spider-Man and a couple of years on Superman and all that kind of stuff, if you show up enough, you... By no feat of your own, become part of people's fond childhood memories of reading comics. That's all it is. You become fortunate enough to become part of people's childhood nostalgia. Because the one thing I've learned from being on Facebook is that nobody cares about Iran friends. I do. No, well, I appreciate that. But what I'm saying is nobody cares about. Oh, look, here's an old art project I did one time. Nobody <laughs> cares about that. No Crickets when I post shit like that, right? But when I post something that I worked on for Marvel, if it's Batman, if, if it's Superman black costume or Captain America or Thor or something like that, the, the, the reactions you get and the reason you get those reactions is because it sparks a memory. I had that book. I remember buying that book at the 7-Eleven riding my bike to my grandma's, and I read it with a lemonade out on the porch, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it, that's fantastic. And it, it is so humbling and, and wonderful to be any part of people's fond childhood memories. But that's where it comes from. That's where the connection is. That's the only reason, you know, Ron Friends is a different for everybody is because – Ron friends was a part of that childhood memory and that's, you know, you
2: can't beat that. Honestly, I would say, and I don't mean to cut you off. I would say that's why we do this really (laughs) Uh, in all seriousness. I mean, you know, no joking aside. I mean, we do this because of, you know, the, the feeling that we get when, you know, we are reading these, the comics and we're like, Oh man, I met, you know, first time around when, you know, actually Oren was the guy and another friend of ours that got me into comics um, you know, I would go. I, mean, I keep telling this story. I'm sorry, Warren, but you know, I used to go with them to the comic book shops and uh, kind of mooch off of them. and like, hey, let me see what you guys are reading here. And then it was one of them. I was just like, why don't you just s- start collecting them?
0: Buy your own, man. Yeah,
2: buy your <laughs> own, dude. So yeah, I mean, I, I look. That's why we are talking to you for that exact reason. So you know.
0: I mean, that's, and I was the same way with the guys that I loved. I mean, the idea that, that I got to work and become friends with Salva Sama never ceases to blow my circuits. The fact that John Romita knows who I am, you know, is ridiculous. It It, it doesn't compute. I mean, lately, my entire connection to comics, besides working in them, has been going to a comic shop near me that actually has all his back issues out in big long boxes on tables. Mm -hmm. And I've been rebuying covers that I remember from when I was a kid that I no longer have around, you know, that have been beat to hell or disintegrated and buying and and reconnecting with those stories and, and enjoying buying, you know, like the first, like the first three or so Spider-Man books that I bought off the rack were like issue 60, and then 62, and then whatever number, like 67 or something, whatever number the Mysterio one with the two big hands coming up. over uh, Those three, if I see them for a reasonable price, I'll buy them. I have multiple copies in my studio just because I, I always want to have copies of them around. I mean, you know, the first one, uh, issue 60 was the one where Kingpin is spinning Spider-Man around by his ankles. It's just this is gorgeous for me to cover with a black background. And the 62 uh, was Medusa uh, standing over Spider-Man with her hair, wrapping him up and all that kind of stuff. And just these wonderfully pin John Ramita compositions that just grabbed your eyes. As a DC guy, they just like, wow, you know, just grabbed your, the back of your head and just pulled you right into what was going on. And when I was a kid, that's what I want. You know, I, I remember very distinct moments of, boy, I, I want to be able to draw like that someday. I want to be able to draw like that guy someday. You know, I want to be able to do this. And to varying degrees, I've succeeded. Uh, I still have, you know, at top of the mountain that I've yet to reach. And if I didn't, I'd stop doing it. You know, I, I, but, you know, I, I'm always looking to to improve on the last piece I did, you know, in fact, that that's very frustrating sometimes. <laughs> you do it, you do a commission and you send it off because you're happy with it, and then you see it posted up on Catskill Comics and you go, "Oh shit, I didn't! Oh shit, I didn't see that! Ah, oh, damn it! You know, I got to do that better next time. You know, that kind of thing."
1: You go to oh, I'm not going to tell you
0: what any of the specifics are because people <laughs> will want their money back. <laughs> Do you go to Ides Entertainment in Pittsburgh? I used to. I used to go to Ides all the time. They, they For a while, they had an Ides North that I used to go to quite a bit. I live north of the city. It's been years since I've been inside Ides. But uh, I started going to Ides when Greg Ides was still out in Etna. He just had a little uh, storefront, and he had a couple of kitchen tables with stacks of old comics on them. Yeah. And I used to go to my brother and I. Every Tuesday night, my dad would take us out uh in lieu of an allowance he would pay for our comics and we would go to a sun drug and a national record mart and a newsstand to get all the different comics every tuesday and one night in sun drug as i was picking stuff out the rag the spinner racks greg Ide was there and he handed me his card and i showed it to my dad and i said do you know where this is and he went Aetna. yeah i know where that is and he goes do you think maybe we could go out someday and and, and you know and so on some weekend my dad drove us out there and, yeah our buddy and, jason goes there all the time yeah i mean this was like his very first store uh, yeah. the one he has down in downtown pittsburgh now it's huge and right. i mean he's he's known for so much more than just comics now yeah. with his, his records and all that kind of stuff but uh, but yeah i uh, i was the first shop appearance i ever did was uh at one of uh Greg I'd's shops when he was down on Federal Street, at the end of the Sixth Street Bridge, I had all I had done at that point was a couple of Casars and a King Conan, I think, <laughs> and I'm like, this is ridiculous. Nobody's going to come out and see me. Nobody did. <laughs> But my family showed up. my mom and dad showed up. That was nice, and uh, you know, and a few people showed up. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it was it was nuts. But yeah, that was, those pictures of me posing in front of Ives, one of his old one of his old storefronts.
1: What's Ron Friend's favorite Ron Friend's work? Oh, that's a tough one.
0: They're all my babies. They're all wonderful. Yeah, I started I started listening them at one point. I mean, like I said, I'm still very proud of the kid who collects Spider Man. Um, if I, you know, sometimes I try to think of one shots and stuff, uh, uh, but it would be tough. The, the, I was really involved and, and proud of uh, the A Next run, the 12 issues of A Next, uh, the amazing Spider Girl run. I, I happily put my name on that, Thunderstrike. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I've been fortunate because working with the Funko, I. I it wasn't like every month I was, you know, every month we always wanted to do something better the next month, but I, I never went like, well, that was a waste of time. You know, I mean, there's a couple of books out there that uh, I didn't think were served well by the final package, you know, that kind of thing. But I don't talk about those because, and and my average is much better than it deserves to be right. as far as working with some of them. I mean, for God's sakes, I got to work with Joe Sinek, Sal Bassema. Tom Palmer, Brett Breeding, you know, I've been I've been backed up by the best guys in the business for my entire career. I, you know, I I am if if I'm if I suck, I have no one to blame but myself <laughs> because I've had the best guys in the business covering for me. You know, so it's a uh, it's been a hell of a ride, man.
1: plus well, you know? like I think it's ridiculously awesome that. Your name is going to be attached to pivotal moments in Spider-Man history, Thor history, and super Crazy, isn't it? Crazy. But yeah, those are like the, the three of the biggest ones out there.
0: Well, they do these big Marvel history things now, and yeah, it blows my mind. <laughs> in fact, this t-shirt I'm wearing right now. The reason exactly. I love this t-shirt, I, I, I don't even remember where I found it. I have been in a I don't know where I found it. But anyway, Jack Kirby, Dick Ayers, Captain America. I don't know. Oh, you can't wait. Yeah, I can see. Okay. Jack Kirby, Dick Ayers, Captain America. George Tuska, Johnny Craig, Iron Man. Marie Severin, Hulk. Rich Buckler, Black Panther. Uh, Gil Kane, Medusa. Ron Friends, Joe Sinnott, Thor. Wow. (laughs) On what planet does that happen? You know? I, I mean, when they started doing these marble, uh, uh, classic marble things using the old marble logo, this logo that Tom DeFalco uh, had a hand in, uh, they started doing, you know, vintage marble things. And I think because just my style was throwback enough, you know, I think there's uh, some mistaking, but sometimes they mistake my stuff for Kirby. Sometimes they mistake it for Buscema, even, you know, mostly because it's think by sent but I don't care why. <laughs> I was going to say, not a bad but, thing to have. Happen. You know, in, in some weird, strange parallel universe, my name is on a list right next to guys, you know, that, that I grew up reading, and it's crazy. You know, it's crazy. that's insane, man. No, I'm one of the luckiest masters on the planet. <laughs> I, when I do talks at uh, schools, uh, I'll do little talks about storytelling with pictures and all this kind of stuff, and and, I'll, and I tell the kids, I tell the kids. You know, when you go home today, you tell your mom and dad that you met the luckiest guy on the planet. I said your dad might think he's the luckiest guy on the planet, but you'll have to tell him, No, Dad, it's not you. It's this guy I met today. Because <laughs> how many people, you know, at twenty five were doing what they said they wanted to do when they were six, you know. It's crazy. It's crazy. And and I I appreciate how crazy that is. Uh, and I, I I do feel like I put the work in, but by the same token, it's you know, it's nuts. <laughs> it's not. I mean, a buddy of mine that I went to art school with who uh, has actually done some work for Marvel as well through the years, Rich Anazeski, that I used this for, my, for his design talents. Right. You know, he once did some math, and he said that, that they, they, I, it was something about... It was more exclusive for the number of people who were fans to get into the comics, into, to actually get into the comics industry it would be more exclusive than the kids playing basketball who want to get into the NBA, Wow, which wow. I find hard to believe. Right. At some point he did some kind of math and he decided that that was the case. And I went, well, that's, that's
2: discouraging. <laughs> but, <laughs> so does that make you LeBron or? I, I, no. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> I, I'm sure the LeBrons would be like the Jim Lees and Todd McFarlane's and the people <laughs> that, the women faint when they approach I'm just a journeyman. Is, uh, give me a journeyman guy who just shows up and does his job. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully nobody says he's a hack. <laughs> who who's in the NBA? <laughs> everybody else. <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never considered myself more than one of the grunts in the, uh, you know, I'm in the foxholes with everybody else just trying to produce the best comics we can. You know, That's
2: maybe. why you're that guy.
0: I was to say that's why we love your work, man. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it, it really is. I mean, it, when they when Joe Sinnott said he was going to start inking our Thor stuff, I just kind of went like, "What the hell?" Happened? <laughs> yeah. At that point, I was working with Brett, and Brett moved off the title, and we had a, a Don Heck inked a couple issues, and that was really cool, and you know, and all this. But we get to issue four hundred, and Joe Sinnott inks it, and then says, "Yeah, he'll stick around," and it's like. So, because I had gotten a chance to work with Joe early on on a what if. I did a Fantastic Four what if that he agreed to to at least the figures on, you know, and it was amazing. I mean, it was way too early to give a Ron friends job to Joe Sinnott, you know, that kind of thing. And and, uh, I've just really been, been lucky. I mean, Marvel appreciated my storytelling first because I I was pretty quickly put on doing breakdowns for different people and, you know, working with Tom Palmer doing finishes or, or whatever. Uh, And even on Spider-Man, I was hired to do full pencils, but Joe Rubenstein preferred working off of breakdowns and Danny was defending me and saying, no, I hired him to do full pencils. And I said, Danny, if Joe is going to be more engaged and going to enjoy the job or doing breakdowns, I'll go, I'll do breakdowns. It was, you know, I'll, I'll, the pay cut is minimal and I'm still working on Spider-Man so I don't care. not so win, yeah. And then of course, JR, he was supposed to come back after six, uh, six issues. And apparently the story I heard from Danny Fingeroth is he came into Danny's office and Danny said, so how's it going on X-Men? And he went, good, good, good. And he, and Danny said, are you still coming back? And he goes, well, yeah. He says, uh, how's it going on Spider-Man? And he goes, no, I'm really happy with these guys. They think they seem to be gelling and they're doing some really interesting stuff, but you know, we're going to stick to the deal. And it was Jr. that said, you know what, if you're really happy with these guys, if you're happy with what they're doing, then just let them have it. I, am going to have more more work than I know what to do with. When I first met Jr. at a convention, I thanked him for my run on Spider-Man, you know, cause he didn't have to do that. Right. And he was a, he was a mensch and, uh, it just meant the world to me. I mean, you know, getting around, I mean, the way Spider-Man ended was nobody's favorite, nobody's favorite story, uh, you know, we were, Tom and I were fired by Jim Ausley uh, There's all different versions of the story out there. Um, he has a blog where he told his version of it and uh, some of it lines up, some of it doesn't. But the bottom line was it was his prerogative as editor to do that and he did it. He, and it was a very, it was a sudden shock, and it rattled me pretty deeply uh, at the time. But uh, but you know, you rebuild. You, you start. You come back. Like I said before, you come back to Thor fill-ins for for Ralph Macchio and who I had done the one is for and stuff. And uh, and Superman annual here inked by Brett Breeding. And suddenly you go, okay, I I remember what this is like. I can do this, you know. <laughs> but it does. It, it does knock your pins off from under you. Yeah. Sure but you bounce back in a big way. Well, you, you have to, I mean, if you're going to do this for a living, it's, you know, it, freelance is, is not for everybody, you know? Uh,
2: oh shit. I mean,
0: right now, <laughs> right now I'm, you know, I'm surviving on commissions, private commissions and working for this publisher in California. And it's, you know, it's not the same as a regular monthly paycheck from Marvel. But, you know, I got, I was very lucky because if you get a job, you do the best job you can and you hope the editor is just happy with what you're doing and you, you want that longevity. Right. I mean, I these guys who happily jump from project to project and everything, I don't know if they're getting paid really, really well or whether they're just a different breed of people that don't worry about that kind of stuff. Right. But, You know, I mean, I I was always paid very well by Marvel, but, you know, not to the point that I could, you know, go six months not working. I'd say, yeah, nice ways to come in. Yeah, I mean, by the time I got there, I mean, Shooter did a lot of good for this industry as far as pay rates and and getting the art back and uh, incentive programs and things like that. I mean, there's no denying the positive impact that he had on this industry. Right. Uh, Not the least of which was hiring me. You know, what I'm a saying. master stroke right there. Damn right. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's a long-term plan in there somewhere that has yet to come to fruition. It's still, it's the long con, man. It takes. I, a- I'm, I'm the ultimate sleeper agent. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, sleep. I love it. But anyway, so I don't know what else do you guys want to know. You have any other questions we didn't get to?
2: We don't. I think uh, I think we've taken up enough of your time at this point. <laughs>
0: Uh, are you guys involved with the, the dollar? There used to be a dollar bin uh, podcast, uh, just it was audio and stuff. I mean, you guys aren't them, are you?
2: No, no. I, we are. Okay. Oren and I just started this about a month ago, oh, okay. or a little over a month ago, uh, so that we can uh, occupy our time doing something creative. We both lost uh, our jobs. so Yeah so <laughs> really yeah
1: Jeez, oh, i'm sorry to hear that guy
2: <laughs> thank you it's all right <laughs>
1: That's so
2: you know i have uh other things to other creative outlets and I, i'm a, a video guy by nature so um you know oren mentioned this He's like hey oren and i have been trying to do something in terms of podcasting for like over a year now so he's like why don't we talk about comic books i'm like okay so just kind of happened and well, I, you know.
0: I've thought about it too, you know, like my public access or something, you know, I mean, at this point, my rep, I don't know if my rep would maintain something like that, but uh, I think, yeah, was, was, I know Rob Liefeld's doing a, a, yeah. a, is it a blog or a podcast or something like that? Yeah, He
1: does. I think, I think it's a podcast. So like that raw or yeah, I, I see it on Twitter sometimes and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, he's got a lot to say about a lot of things. Well, uh, yeah. He, more, more
0: than I... He has more opinions than I will ever have. and <laughs> I've, I've lapped him age-wise, so I'm sure I will never have as many opinions as <laughs> did,
1: uh, I And we don't have to put this in the video, but did Image ever come to you during
0: those days in the early parts? No. No, the closest I ever got to working for Image is after all those guys were... I, I think it was like Jim Valentino was running the gig at the time, and there were a bunch of other... Uh, people that we were dealing with. I'm trying to remember if I remember a, a name, and I can't. But in the early 2000s, Tom DeFalco did a few issues of something called um, Randy O'Donnell is the Man for Image. It was published through Image, but he was basically paying for everything. It was when Image had already become one of these things where they were just packaging people and putting, them the, you know, putting their logo on things and helping through Diamond, you know, that kind of thing and he he printed uh he worked with Ron Lim on on three issues, I think it was three or four issues of something called Randy O'Donnell is the man, and he was hoping to expand that into a, a book by us called Mr. Wright that someday may still see print. We're not sure we're actually in talks with some people right now to possibly uh, publish it for the first time. of course, now, after twenty years, we have to go back and we have to tweak a few things but uh. But, yeah, that was the closest we ever came to working for, uh, for Image or anything. No. I mean, we've done some uh, some crazy, thing. like for an Indian publisher, we did, there's a, an Indian superhero movie called Krish. Oh, really? um, there have been two of them so far. And we did a comic book, uh, you know, a, a freelance editor that, that, that knew us. Uh, they wanted it to look like a Marvel comic, so he, he got a hold of Tom and I and Sal inked it. And we did this Indian character that was it was a lot of fun. It's a cool character, but uh, there's some crazy stuff. Uh, they, for that same Indian company, we did a uh, uh, their own uh, religious stories for the iPhone with like no no copy, no dialogue, just pictures. Uh, we and you know, I did the pencils, and were inked by Sal and Tom. Structured the stories. <coughs> so I mean, we've done some really bizarro interesting freelance gigs, you know, but uh, I mean, nothing's like the regular monthly storytelling. I miss, you know, that, that's why the sitcomic stuff is like mother's milk to me is I, and even that I'm, I'm less involved with the actual plotting and the development of the characters. I helped design all the characters, but it's still a new thing. It's still a nascent universe where Darren Henry is very much the shepherd and is still creating new things and deciding how everything fits together and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm a co-designer, but I'm also mostly just a penciler, you know, uh, the visual storyteller, uh, less so uh, any kind of co-plotting or anything like that. But, you know, as time goes by, uh, as, as we have our successes, I, I think that'll probably evolve and change. And that's what I really enjoy. I consider myself primarily a storyteller, even with my single commissions. I, Trying to tell a story. Right. You know, it's not just a, a drawing. There's something to it. Right. right. You try to, anyway. Even if it's yeah. a single figure, you you want it to be true to the character. You know, you, you want Cap to look like Cap or Spider Man to look like Spider Man or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. So, that's pretty awesome.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you. Sir, I uh, thank you for joining us. It you was... look like
0: you're ready for bed, Joe.
2: No, no. I, I'm, I have two <laughs> kids and uh, I'm always tired. <laughs>
0: I don't have two
2: kids. I will go. I'm going upstairs when I'm done, and I will go upstairs, and I'm going to read comics. So there you go. Cool. That's what I'm going to do until I fall asleep, which usually takes me about ten minutes.
0: What's on? What's on the? What's 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 tonight? What's on the menu for tonight?
2: Um, I I have I'm behind by a couple of weeks, so I'm going new
0: stuff. New stuff. Yeah, (laughs)
2: new stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, I'm reading Thor. Ah, latest Thor.
0: Not by me. What do I care if you're reading? Uh, I, like, you know. You All
2: right, I'll just go reread Superman made, Red. he buys the
0: new books. No. I'll
2: just go reread just Superman Red and Blue. How's that?
0: No, I had nothing to do with that either. I, I designed the blue suit. That was it.
2: Oh, okay. Right.
0: I think that's one of the reasons they there, there's a little factoid. We'll end with a little factoid. The reason that they picked my silly electric blue Superman suit. One, I was the only one that played with the S, so they could market it on watches and T-shirts and things like that. Yeah. With the lightning bolt, you know, that kind of thing. That was one. Two is colorist Glenn Whitmore had been annoying them for years at the Superman summits that he wanted to redo Superman Red, Superman Blue, which sounds really silly because he's the colorist, and that's all he wanted to do. So – but that's that's what he used to do. Every 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 year he would say, "Can we do Superman Red, Superman Blue?" So when the opportunity came to give Superman a new suit and a new mm-hmm. power set, one of the reasons I'm sure that my design was chosen was because of the electric gas okay. and the fact that he was monochromatic blue. So they could they saw it as an opening to finally
2: so, so they can Superman make Superman
0: them- Red, Superman Blue for 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 Glamour. And uh, I had nothing to do with that. I did not design the character to be that. But I just designed the blue guy. The red guy came along.
2: I have in there somewhere in one of those boxes is my uh, glow-in-the-dark version of that new suit on the cover. So I should have had that damn thing when we were talking about gimmick covers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was another one, too. A lot of people don't realize. I I mean, I sign copies of that all the time, and people don't realize it's glow-in-the-dark. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, and shit. Now I wish I had it because it was a it was a copy that I bought from the comic book store, and it was uh, it was signed by a number of artists. God damn it! I'm gonna go take a, find it and take a picture of it now.
0: Damn it. <laughs> no, it, it is because I used to sign it across the logo where it has some of the Deglo stuff. If I didn't have a silver pen,
2: yeah, I would sign yes, it, it was it was a silver pen.
0: Well, yeah, but, but if I if I sign it with silver pen on the black, that's great. But if you don't have a silver pen, you sign it with a regular Sharpie across the logo. And so you can still see it. And that is glow in the dark. And I have had people, I've had lots of people have said, why does it have that weird feeling on the logo? And they went, really? Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> like, take it home tonight, charge it. And take it Yeah. And you sit next to your bed and your Superman will see you safely just sleep And then it did. The they did a glow in the dark poster too. Oh, yeah. I, I don't look for it because I wasn't happy with my work on it. But dang <laughs>
2: And yeah, then they, I remember they, the they uh
0: they called the, me up and they needed it like yesterday, but they wanted it full size. And I'm like, I don't even have I don't have a board that's full size. I literally penciled it on a bunch of taped-together comic boards. It was a disaster. It was, <laughs> oh, it was awful. And the characters are kind of out of proportion and stuff. His top is too big and too for his bottom.
2: Very, yeah, he had very wide... I mean, you know, he's a big dude anyway, we but remember. like... Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. Very, they picked a very static position, and he's just like standing there with he, his two arms up or something. Yeah. And yeah, his upper body is too big. Yeah, and and he had very
2: small... Calves and legs for that character.
0: It's, it was awful. It was it was a disaster. What attack him, Joe. I'm not
2: attacking anything. I love the shit, great, man. That was awesome. One uh, of the you know,
0: shames of my career, and that's a great place to end this.
2: <laughs> that note.
1: We'd like to bring our guests down. Yeah, <laughs> humble that's, you. That should be that should be your, your hook
0: now. Is it? Yep. Yeah. It's I, a setup. One thing that if you had an opportunity to do again you would do it because you live with the undying shame yeah. of it. that would be one of the things. Oh, be- you want to talk I more about not Spider-Man not not
2: with him, him then, make him feel <laughs> good?
0: That might, that might not normally occur to me. So we we uh, the fact that we came up with that. Uh, that, that, that <laughs> too many things to love, but that was
1: bad.
2: That's how I'm we sorry. want to
1: end it on a negative <laughs> note.
2: All right. Well, <laughs> well again, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for guys. Uh, joining us. Thank you. It was
0: Oh, Oren, it's been a pleasure. You've been a lot of fun. And thank I'm, you guys, for asking. And anytime you have an hour you need to fill, uh, you know, you can give me a call. Now that we know each other, you're your family. So I appreciate that, sir. That anything means anything I can do to help out the uh, the podcast, you let me know. Okay. Thank
2: appreciate you. Appreciate it. You have a good one. Thank you, sir.
0: You have a good night. Take all you right. Go. Bye-bye.
2: Bye,
3: Bye. The Dollar Bin Bandits are Orrin Phillips, Joe Marcello, and Mike Farah. New episodes release every Wednesday and Friday. You can find us on all the socials at Dollar Bin Bandits on Facebook and Instagram, at DB Bandits on X. For more super nerdy discourse, join the Dollar Bin Banter group on Facebook. You can email us at dollarbinbandits at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you found this episode. It's the easiest and most helpful way to grow the show. Looking for merch? Search us up on TeePublic. And if you want to support what we do, smash that support button on our website, dollarbinbandits.buzzsprout.com. Thank you to Sean McMillan for our graphics and Pat McGrath for our logo. Thank you to our friends at Tomorrow's Publishing. T-W-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-S dot And thank you all for listening. Until next time, banditos.